Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best life. I'm Michelle Scharf. And I am Jenny Taylor. And Michelle, we're back with Lindley Baker. She was with us last time and, and told us her story of this idyllic marriage and how it flipped upside down after literally decades of happiness. Lindley, thanks for joining us both last time and this time. Can you give us a little recap of what we talked about last time? And then let's jump right into this next series of events and the lessons that you're going to help us learn today as we talk about resilience. Sure. Thank you. It's great to be back. I grew up in Massachusetts as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I got married when I was 21 in the Washington, D.C. Temple, and I raised six children in the church in four different countries. So we were in many different wonderful wards, and my husband served as a state president for nine years in Indiana. And one day he told me he was leaving the church. And after a few days, I figured out that was also leaving me. And eventually it was also leaving the kids. It's pretty sad what he's done to himself, but I'm here to talk about trying to take care of myself. I love how we're talking about living your best life. I mean, we use that in our introduction. We're talking to people who've been through hard things and living their best lives anyway. One thing for people who find themselves decades into a life they thought would continue One thing that's really hard is not just losing maybe the other person to death or divorce or something, but you alluded to this last time, you kind of lose your identity. For so many years, I've been so's wife. I've been part of this picture, and now half of that picture just got yanked out. Can you talk to us a little bit about your journey trying to still live your best life, which, again, kind of required redefining you as an individual now separate from this this multi-decade marriage? So I was very thankful that I had a good job that could support myself because I know a lot of women, especially in a multi-decade marriage, don't have a way to make their own living at that point. And so I just thought, I don't have to deal with that whole dimension of divorce. And so thankful for that. I decided that I would join an orchestra. I have a master's degree in viola performance, and I don't always play every day at this point, but in other places I've lived, I've been in orchestras that meet like once a week and have concerts. And I enjoyed that. And I also enjoy going to concerts. So I was thinking about, well, as a single person, if you attend a concert, that's kind of weird. But if you are performing in the concert, it's not weird to go by yourself. So I auditioned for some local orchestras in Denver, where I was living, and I got into a couple of them and chose the orchestra that I would be a part of. So I was really excited about that. I had my job, my church family, my callings, and I felt like I had set up a pretty good single life for myself in Denver. I even, so my my divorce was final October 1st. And in mid-October, I went on a week-long trip to Hawaii I called my newly single trip. I know that when people get married, they go on a honeymoon to practice their new social status of being married. So I thought, well, I'll go on a newly single trip to practice being single. And so that was the middle of October. And the Lord's looking out for me everywhere. It was so amazing that my mother's best friend and neighbor 
was going to the same Hawaiian island that same week, just one day different. <laughs> so I hooked up with them a couple times for dinner, hikes and things, and it was kind of nice. The Lord was still kind of shepherding me, even though I was on my newly single trip. And then on Halloween, October 31st, so we're still in the same month that my divorce was final, my boss called me and said she was going to lay me off. They had some budget cuts, and I was the one that she chose. She only had to let go of one person in the whole group. And it just felt like I'm on this carpet, this newly single carpet, and just barely getting my balance. And it's ripped out from under my feet, and I'm just flailing. And you often say in this podcast, life's not one and done. You don't just get one trial. And I think my life would have been a lot easier if I still had my job, but the Lord is aware of us in all our circumstances. And, you know, maybe, maybe it was better, but it it was certainly a a difficult shock. So tell me a little bit, what's your financial situation looking like that? Because like you said a minute ago, you were grateful that you're gainfully employed. You don't have to rely on your ex-husband to pay your bills. Now you've just lost that employment What happened next, even financially? Because that, of course, is a huge burden. You can talk all you want about emotional resilience, but if you don't have money to pay the bills, that gets really problematic fast. That's right. So I thought I'd be able to find another job within the company. I was very well respected by most people, if not my boss, but it didn't work out. And I think it's because it was company policy for everyone to call up the old boss and ask how they were, and don't think she really liked me. So I wasn't able to get another role within the company. Through the divorce settlement, I got a house in Salt Lake City. It's a beautiful house up by Ensign Peak. It's a house that my ex and I had bought many years ago when we were planning on retiring and living near to a temple for a change because we've lived far from temples. And go on missions. That was our plan for retirement. We were going to do lots of missions to the church. So I got this house in Salt Lake City and it's all paid off. And so if you don't have a job and you don't have a spouse that makes money, the only place you can live is where you don't have a mortgage or rent. So I had to move to Salt Lake City and nothing against Salt Lake City, but I, I had that wonderful single life I had set up in Denver that I loved with the orchestra and the church choir and in my job, and, and I had to give that up even after losing my husband or a little bit earlier. So that was why I, I, I didn't want to move to Salt Lake City. But you did. I did, and, you know, the, the Lord, he, he knows everything. And he knew my husband would leave me even when we got married and blessed me with so many good experiences with him, even though if I knew when I was 21 that it wasn't going to be forever. I'm sure I couldn't have gotten married. But one month after I moved to Salt Lake City, my mother, who lives in Bountiful, had a stroke. And so I was able to be close by and help her often through that. And now she's doing very well. She's mostly over it, for which I'm thankful. But it would have been difficult for me to try to take care of her from Denver while working full-time. Another thing was... I was trying to figure out, I'm, I'm very logical. You probably all figured that out by now, but I was trying to figure out like, why, why would I 
lose my husband and my job. And I decided that there was this book that I've been thinking about writing for several years that I think has an important message. And if I don't have a job and have time between jobs, I could write my book. And so I decided to call that a gift. God is giving me a gift of time to write my book. And that helped me be more comfortable with the idea that I'm coming to Salt Lake City. It gave me more of a purpose to do that and not just be, you know, someone cowering, failing, ending up wherever they can land. See, I'm going to jump in right there, Lily. That's what I love about you, that resilience of perspective. I mean, it sounds like such a simple thing to have a perspective, but that really is such an important part of resilience. Rather than always looking at everything went wrong and this is not right and this isn't what I expected, but you could kind of find that silver lining and then create an opportunity to act. Again, back to the idea that faith and philosophy are great, but real resilience is found in the action. And I love how you just said, I'm going to write a book. Like how many of us have the presence of mind in the middle of our greatest heartache and despair to say, I'm going to write a book. And I know your book because I've got it. I've read it. I love it. And your book isn't just a book. Your book is a book that helps other people find their best lives and their paths and journeys. So I, I just love that so much. Thanks. Well, yeah, and I think I've been blessed with, like, self-awareness because the last day I worked in the office at my job was right before Thanksgiving, and I came to my house in Salt Lake City that Thanksgiving, so before I moved there, but I was going to spend Thanksgiving Day in Bountiful with my mother and extended family. And I was feeling really down that day. I was so disappointed that I didn't have my job, that the work acquaintances that I had would no longer be able to be my friends because work friends and casual friends are different things. And I I was just really, really sad. And as I was praying that night, I got an idea of if I took my sourpuss self to Thanksgiving tomorrow that I wouldn't be able to enjoy my family and more importantly they wouldn't be able to enjoy me and I decided I didn't want that I wanted to have a happy day so I decided I would just focus on the positive things and I was able to show up and have a normal happy family time and if I hadn't prayed and thought about how I was acting and how that would affect other people situations, then I probably wouldn't have changed. Okay, let's take a break really quickly. And when we come back, Lindley, tell us how you start to put the pieces together after they've shattered twice and in a fairly short amount of time, this new devastation, these new unexpected twists and turns, and yet how your analytic mind and really reasoning through how am I going to do this has helped you to gain that resilience. We'll be right back. with Lynn Lee Baker, who's telling us uh, her story of heartache that shortly after a divorce that devastated 35 years of marriage, she's now lost a job, which has required moving out of state, starting all over yet again. And yet you've been able to take this. I love your analytic mind. Um, some of us, when we're in the middle of tragedy, are so emotional that we can't really think through things. And yet you seem to constantly be thinking through and analyzing and reasoning and thinking, well, I don't want to ruin Thanksgiving, so I guess I better just 
have a better attitude on Thanksgiving or I don't want to just sit around and feel sorry for myself for not having a job, so I'm going to write a book. Tell us what action items you've, you've put into place and what steps you've actually taken since that laying off of your job and to get to where you are today. So one other part of the whole puzzle is another challenge that we had this house that I said we had bought to retire in, and it was an older house, and we were actually going to just tear it down and rebuild a little bit smaller and and modern, and that was no longer an option with my financial situation and no job. So I decided to start figuring out how to fix it up, and and the Lord gave me a head start on what to focus on first because it was a flood. My kitchen sink faucet broke, and I had a flood in that on Christmas Day, two days after I moved in, and I wasn't even home. I was at my son's house in Springville with his family for Christmas. But when, so when we got home, it flooded the whole kitchen. And I'm like, okay, that's okay. This kitchen doesn't work. I have a kitchen downstairs. Well, that kitchen is directly downstairs. And <laughs> that got completely flooded as well. So I ended up having no kitchen for about five months. I had to wash my dishes in the bathtub and I had to repipe the house and rebuild both kitchens and lots of other things. So I was trying to think about, like, what do I do in my life? So what I started doing was to plan my time so I would spend a significant amount of time renovating and organizing my home and also a significant amount of time writing my book. So for me, that was better to have balance. If I tried to write my book full-time, I would probably go crazy. I'm I'm a numbers person. That's what actuaries are. And I had to learn the process of writing the book in addition to just writing it. Writing the book gave me a chance to feel like I was helping people in the future through the book, that I was being creative. And I could see my progress over time, gradually getting through the different chapters. And then with the house, I would, it was the biggest event on Facebook for my friends during the pandemic shutdown. No one else was doing anything because everyone was home, but I was renovating my home and I'd share pictures of it. If it hadn't been during the lockdown that Nobody would have really taken much notice, but it was fun to have my extended friends from all over the world be interested in my house. So that was another major project. So I was busy doing those things, and then the time was coming up to the anniversary of when my ex put that letter on the sofa. I was trying to think, what can I do about that day? Because I don't want it just to be a day of bad memories sadness. And so I decided to create a personal holiday that was on that date, May 26th every year, and I named it Victory Day. And so the first Victory Day was 2020. And I so the victory that I celebrated was that I was not crushed by my challenges. And some people might think that's not a victory. But to me, I felt like it was something to celebrate because cause things were hard. I was still faithful in the church. I still was close to God, still close to my extended family and my kids. And I thought, that's my victory. So those are a couple things I did. I love that. You have your own holiday. 
Um, I know, Michelle, you understand the weight of those anniversaries, whether it's a death or divorce or, or what. It's as if the calendar doesn't even need to remind you. Your physical body can know when those hard days are coming. Yeah, I love absolutely. how you turn that into something positive because how many of us, when those anniversaries come around, just it, it's dread and it's not just the day that you dread, it's the week before it leading up to it and, and everything about it. And again, I'm just so impressed, Lily, at how you take kind of the analytic approach to exactly what you mentioned last time when you were talking about your early marriage with your husband. It wasn't a question of whether or not your marriage was going to work through an argument or whatever, just how are we going to get through this hard time? Because you, at the time, thought for sure it would last forever. And Michelle and I have talked about that several times, how resilience isn't about asking why, why me, why did this happen, why do I have to go through this? It's about asking how. How am I going to get through this? How am I going to be happy on Thanksgiving? Or how am I going to rebuild? And I feel like you are just so strong at that, at being able to really step out of the emotion of it, even though you're feeling the emotion of it, but be able to kind of take some of that reasoning, well, here's the goal that I want, here's the thing I'm trying to work for, so I guess I better come up with some intermediate steps. I'm also impressed with how you regulate your time. That's something I think that's really helpful for those of us who are trying to rebuild our lives and and pick up pieces. It can be really overwhelming to know that, first of all, i got to figure out what in the world I want to do with this new life and who I am and what my goals and dreams might be. And that alone is a lot. But second of all, even if I get to the point where I kind of feel like I can define what I want, then i got to get there. And, and we tend to want to try to eat the whole elephant all at once. And I love how you work through, you know, maybe a certain number of minutes a day or a certain amount of time set aside rather than trying to say I'm just going to accomplish this and magically get my goal done. I'm going to be very, uh, again, analytical in how I get there. I'm going to set aside a certain block of time. And I think that's something most of us could benefit from, goal setting of any kind. How do we really first define the goal? But once we've defined the goal, how do we get there without overwhelming ourselves? Because overwhelming ourselves usually leads to quitting. We quit. We give up. We don't get to the goal. We feel like we failed. But a little piece at a time, step by step, continually reevaluating where we are, that approach really can be so helpful and just so doable. Yeah, I agree. When I finally had the floors in my house, which was last September, I I was at the point where I needed to organize stuff at my house. I mean, there was way too much stuff in my house. There was stuff from different homes where we had lived and it had just been dumped there. Some stuff had been packed up before we moved to France in 2007. It was still in the boxes and floor to ceiling in, in full rooms were just full of stuff. And so that it would be really easy to be overwhelmed. Like, I'll never organize this stuff. But what I decided, I just do three boxes a day. And after I did my three boxes, there's no guilt about not doing more boxes, no pressure to do more boxes. Occasionally, I would I'd see something easy to take care of, and i take care of something else, too. But just doing those three boxes each day over several months, and actually go through everything, but it took a long time. That was something also my mother said. Like she gets overwhelmed, she's feeling guilty about what she's not doing, and I think it's easy for people to to do that. But I've tried to look at what I am doing, and I have a plan for the other stuff. So we'll deal with those later. You remind me of my late husband John. He would always say, um, "I I used to be a terrible housekeeper and um, terrible." 
I have a great organizational mind, but I I was terrible when the kids were at home on like how to like tackle these things. And my husband would always say, "You need to stop looking at the big picture of this, and you just need to decide. I'm going to go put away one box today, and if you just put away one box every day, eventually there will be no more boxes. And it really doesn't matter when that end goal will happen." You don't even have to look for the end goal or like put that date on the the calendar, because if you're consistent, it's going to happen, which is better than what it is now, which is not happening because you're overwhelmed. <laughs> right. Yeah, I love yeah. that. So my book is called "Don't Be Afraid to Do What You Really Want to Do: Reach All Your Life Dreams." And I was so excited; it was a big goal, and I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people. And he likes it. Thank you. And then after that, I just started feeling lost. I didn't even realize it was because I didn't have a big goal anymore because I still had things to do. And I speak about the book. I coach people to help them reach their dreams. But I talked to my therapist and she was able to realize that that I'm missing a goal in my life. And so we talked about how I could maybe change what I'm doing now to, to help me reach my purpose and, and feel like I have, I'm going toward my purpose and I have, I have goals again. So I've started to write my second book, which I'd be happy to tell you about after your break. Okay, that sounds great. Well, we're going to take a break right now and we'll be right back. back with Lindley. Lindley, tell us about your new venture. So I've had the book in mind, but I just started writing it in the last few weeks. It's called Betrayed, Not Trashed. And when I first got to Salt Lake City, I didn't have a hairdresser and I went to my mother's hairdresser and we were talking and I knew she was divorced and she knew I was just getting divorced and she asked me a question. She said, didn't you feel horrible when your husband threw you away? Oh, and that, ouch. that question, well, I didn't answer it because I had never thought that he had thrown me away. And I realized that she thought her husband had thrown her away and that had affected her self-esteem. And she just felt horrible for many years. Like she was this worthless failure of a person. And I thought, that's not right. If your spouse leaves you, they've betrayed you. They've betrayed that marriage vow they took a long time ago. They didn't. It's not something you did. They did. So it's a, when you're betrayed, your value doesn't change. Benedict Arnold betrayed the United States. The United States value didn't change. It had some new problems. Right. And... When we're betrayed, we have new problems, but our intrinsic value hasn't changed. And that's my message to women or anybody that's been betrayed. You are still an important person. And in the book, I go through how I thought about different things. And I mean, at first, I, I didn't even know what to think about. I got this divorce counselor and I said, I have never had one thought in my whole life that I might be divorced someday 
So I don't even know what topics I should be thinking about. Tell me what to think about. So this talks about thinking about what's your name? Do I wear a ring? How do I continue to mother the children? I mean, all these things that it will talk about how I thought them through and everyone needs to come up with their own answers, but I thought it would be helpful for the readers to see how someone went through it with an attitude that it's a how thing, it's not an if thing, it's not life is over. And the process of creating this new book has given me, again, some more purpose in life. I find I need to be creative in some way. Uh, So I'm enjoying the process and I'm not rushing through it. I think it'll come out sometime next year. 2022. But even if someone only knows the title, Betrayed, Not Trashed, and I think it can help them with their perspective of, okay, I have a new situation. I might have some new problems, but I'm still me. I'm still valuable. And I mean, if you're religious, God knows you. God knows me. He knows my problems. He knew they were coming. He's blessed me through them. He'll bless me in the eternities, and life is going to be okay. Well, that's really, that's awesome. And I'm glad that you've figured out how to uh, funnel your energy into a creative outlet that can possibly serve and help another person. You know, um, I was reading a Brene Brown book, and she has a quote, and I'm going to mess it up because I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but uh, it's something like, like, write your story one day, your story is going to help somebody else be the roadmap for somebody else who's going through something similar. And so, uh, you know, Jenny and I both have talked about writing books. Um, You know, I would like to write a book on losing a husband to prostate cancer at a young age. It doesn't happen very often. And there wasn't any resources that I could locate to even help me navigate the waters I was in. I had a lot of questions and I, I didn't, I didn't find many answers. And um, and so I, you know, I'd like to write that roadmap for somebody else if they should find their, themselves in this similar situation. Well, thank you for coming on with us today. Before we go, um, I'd like to just hear what does resilience mean to you? If I had to sum it up, I would say it's not losing faith, not losing the big picture, trusting God that it's all going to work out in the end. And He said, all things work together for those who love the Lord. And so realizing that it doesn't help to just lay in bed all day or to feel sorry for yourself, but try to figure out something, anything to do that's positive and move forward. Well, thank you so much for that. And thank you for coming on today and sharing with us your story and how you are moving forward and finding um, how to live your best life. For those of you listening, subscribe for free to the podcast. And if you like what you've heard, give us a rating and a review. If you know someone who has a story about real life that they're willing to share or you are willing to share, you can send us an email at rrpodcast at ksl.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Relentlessly Resilient, on Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. Feel free to reach out directly in um, the direct message. If you'd like to contact Jenny or I, one of us will, will be in touch. And remember, no matter what you do today, please remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles other people are facing in their lives. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye.